0: by their stores, I mean their food stores, not the actual breaking into a <laughs> building. <laughs> just a, a a gang of crows, just get the
1: crowbar, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Stream of Consciousness, a radio program made possible through 90.3 KRNU. I'm Ben Kula, I'm your host, and today I'll be talking to Ben. Hi, Ben. Hello. Today, Ben and I will be talking about birds. Guess off. What are birds?
0: <laughs> birds are dinosaurs. They stand on two legs, they got wings, they got feathers, they got beaks. That, that's pretty much the rule. You know, those are the things they have. If you see something with those things, it's probably a bird. You see them everywhere they're probably the most ubiquitous animal in our life. Look up in a tree, even just stop and listen for them for a second, you're going to hear them flying around, tweeting, yeah. singing. That's honestly what I like about them. You can just stop wherever you are in your day and there's a bird doing yeah. its thing. You can see them everywhere and
1: you really can, especially mm-hmm. here in here in Lincoln, you mm-hmm. see a lot of, you know, city birds and then outside you can always hear Different bird songs and see stuff like robins, grackles. Mm-hmm. Grackle's just my favorite
0: bird. <laughs> yeah, grackle's a fun bird. Fun word to say too. Great word to say. Um, there's, you know, there are the birds that you'll see all over the place: robins, grackles. But a lot of the birds that you'll see, especially in Lincoln, especially on college campuses, are things like house sparrows or Eurasian collared doves. Things that. Birds that aren't necessarily supposed to be here, but they're just everywhere. Yeah. Invasive species. Um, but they're still, I think there's still some joy in seeing them flying around, doing their business. A lot of people take robins for granted, I think. They're, they're everywhere, so everybody ignores them. But if you really pay attention to them, they're definitely a cool bird to watch. Nice. They sound really cool, and they look really nice. So, yeah. You should like birds because, like we've been talking about, they're a part of your daily life. It's even if you don't pay attention to them while you're walking around, you probably eat them at some point if you've ever eaten chicken. Um, They do a lot of ecosystem services for us. They are an integral part of every landscape. So they're something that really everyone needs to care about. You wanted to start with uh your favorite fun fact. Oh, yeah. So... uh. Kind of based on the Sandhill Crane trip that I just went on. I went watching Sandhill Cranes in the Platte Basin in Nebraska here, and I learned that Sandhill Cranes are actually the oldest bird species on the planet. There are fossils of them dating back 6 million years, so they've been around longer than every other species. (laughs) 6 million years, that's a really old bird. Yeah, very old bird. You can tell looking at them, too, they look like dinosaurs. Huh.
1: When I think old species, I don't know, birds seem strange. Because, like, when you think a species that's been around for a while, you think, mm-hmm. like, alligators, crocodiles, horseshoe crabs, stuff like that. Yeah. But I guess there has to be an oldest bird, and sandhill cranes are it. Yeah. So w- what's interesting about sandhill cranes? Like, what was your trip? Because I know there's it's kind of a big thing here in Nebraska, but mm-hmm. I'm from out of state, so I don't
0: really know that whole deal. Yeah, I'm also from out of state, but as a fisheries and wildlife major here, uh, you just kind of hear about the sandhill cranes because they're such an important part of the nebraska wildlife scene they mm-hmm. bring so much tourism to the state it's incredible they migrate here in the hundreds of thousands and there if you go to the central platte where i was we literally you can't even comprehend the number of cranes you're looking at on the river there's just so many of them and they're about three and a half foot tall birds so they're, they're not small and there's hundreds of thousands of them yeah that's pretty so big it's really cool, something to see and they're loud too they they make a lot of noise
1: watching that migration do they end up here like this is this where they end because i know a lot of bird migrations end up seeing like it's not canadian geese what's like the actual word for canadian geese canada geese canada geese i knew i knew yeah. some, I, actually canada geese like you always see them flying past but they never I mean, they always end up here, but you always see them just going overhead and like, okay,
0: they're they're gone. Mm-hmm. Is the Sandhills where they end up and roost for? The Sandhills is, as one of the leaders of the trip I was on, his name is Mike Forsberg. He's a big photographer out there. He's done a lot of work and is the leader at the Platte Basin Time Lapse Project. But the way he put it is the Platte is like the pinch point of the hourglass of their migration route. So they're migrating from the coasts in the south up into Canada in the north and the central Platte is on in this central flyway they call it because there's several flyways for the species some go along the east some go right up through the middle and some go west and we're in the central flyway and all of the cranes that take the central flyway pretty much at some point end up in this stretch of the central platte river in Nebraska before they start heading north again It seems very interesting, like kind of
1: all converging at one point at the center, then going back out. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't they just go straight north? Uh,
0: The main reason is, unfortunately, loss of the habitat that they need to migrate. There's been a lot of work that's gone into making sure that that stretch of the plat is suitable for them to stop over because they need shallow rivers that are wide so that they can stand in them to be safe from predators, and they, they migrate together so that they have power in numbers that way. But most of the Platte River starts in Wyoming and Colorado and then combines in Nebraska. And there's a bunch of water fights about that that I won't get into, but it's essentially led to having less water in the Platte River for the cranes to use. The Platte River used to be about 10 miles wide, and now it's you can see the other side it's maybe a hundred yards wide. Sometimes. Oh dear, that's the
1: con- considerably smaller. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have. So to connect back to one of my previous episodes, I talked with Maggie about um, uh, the eyes of birds and how essentially, like, uh, some protein in their eyes are, has some quantum biology stuff that allows it to tell where north is. Mm-hmm. It was really neat. I. Couldn't do as good of a job explaining it as she could, <laughs> but I know you know some other things about bird eyes, I do which know I think some could be things. could be fun.
0: Yeah. So birds are obviously famously pretty good at seeing, mm-hmm. uh, especially raptors, hawks, and eagles, and and vultures and such. Birds of prey. Right. Yeah. Um. I guess a lesser known fact about bird eyes, maybe Maggie talked about it, is they actually have a bone inside of them no I did not know that that's so cool it's called the sclerotic ring because birds actually cannot move their eyes their eyes are fixed where they are that seems like it might be not good Uh, you'd think but when they're up in the sky especially birds of prey looking down for raptors looking down for prey they need to be able to see very steadily Mm -hmm. so if there's any shake in their eyes they're going to lose sight of what they're trying to find and they might be able to move their eyes a little bit, but the sclerotic ring there is, is basically just so that they have very stable vision, so hmm. they don't have to worry about that shake when they're hunting or looking. And if you think about, too, if you've ever watched a bird, when they look at something, they have to turn their whole head to look at it. Yeah. That's why they kind of move with that that jerking motion of their head. Yeah. That especially, I think, makes them look like dinosaurs, but...
1: Yeah. <laughs> So we don't we don't know what dinosaurs looked like. We that's true. We know what Steven Spielberg imagined dinosaurs to look like, and then kind of went on it from
0: there. <laughs> yeah, but we can I, we have a decent idea of how similar birds are to dinosaurs. Yeah, they are pretty much the closest thing we have today. So it's it is cool to see to watch and think what dinosaurs might have been like based on how birds do things. Dinosaurs over like crocodiles or Komodo dragons. Mm-hmm. Wow. Birds are direct descendants of dinosaurs. Reptiles are less direct.
1: <laughs> Reptiles split off earlier, higher up the tree than birds. Yes. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Birds vision. Vision. Birds vision. Birds vision. Right. That's right. So they are very good at seeing stably, but also this book I've been reading about animal senses, I'm in the chapter about vision right now. And it's actually talking about animals. You don't really think about this, but some animals see faster than others. Like a higher FPS? <laughs> yeah, essentially. <laughs> the the neuron that fires when light hits their eye fires to their brain faster than other animals. And birds birds are a very diverse group, so it does not hold for the whole group. But especially raptors see pretty fast. Predators tend to see faster than herbivores or prey species interesting Um, the fastest seers are insects when you think about like a fly how it seems like no matter how fast you go it's ahead of you the neurons to their brain is firing super super fast
1: But they also have like their bug eyes so like Mm -hmm. compound eyes is the the phrase right so they're also seeing like full 360 degree view at all
0: times Mm mm-hmm and that, that's kind of another fun thing about bird eyes is you can especially see it with owls. Talking about predators tend to have front-facing eyes like humans do. Mm-hmm. Gives them really good depth perception. But then if you think about something like a chicken, their eyes on our, are on either side of their head because they're just trying to see everything, hopefully not get killed. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of another cool thing about owls. Uh, owls are cool, man. Yeah. Especially barn owls, if you think about what their face shape looks like. It's basically a big disc. Yeah. Depressed disc and that allows them to hear really well. Their their face bounces sound to their ears. Where are their ears on that just kind of Their ears are right concave. behind their eyes. So
1: Oh. Yeah. Not on the sides of their heads like ours. Well, on
0: the sides of their head behind their eyes. So it kind of acts like um a, a satellite essentially. Yeah. This is really cool to think about, because they, they have to turn their head to hear stuff really well. Huh. So if they hear something, they can, off to the side, they can turn their head and hear it way better just by turning their head around.
1: That's that's That really is super cool, because it's just, yeah. It's just like a satellite, just mm-hmm. reflecting and focusing that sound straight on
0: in. Yeah. Wow. Man, now you got me all on bird senses. Yeah. Uh, Maybe with some more. Well, so I can't remember where I heard this one, maybe even in the same book, but for a long time, scientists thought that birds couldn't smell at all. And it was basically because of a really faulty experiment done by Audubon, the Audubon himself. Who who is Audubon? (laughs) Audubon, I can't remember his first name, but the Audubon Society is like one of the biggest bird conservation groups in the world. And it's named after him. So basically, just some, some really big old ornithologist. Right. And he was one of the first bird people. Scientist. Yeah. He was one of the first people to really document North America's bird species. Hmm. And sometimes he did it pretty well, and sometimes he did it a little iffy. That's, that's kind <laughs> of a, a common trend
1: you see with a lot of old scientists. Like, they did some really great work. Mm-hmm. They were also
0: way off the mark a couple of times. Yeah. So the reason that he thought that birds couldn't smell is because he did this really shoddy experiment with vultures where he set out this like super old rotting carcass. and Vultures love that. Right. And he also set out a painting of what should have been food for vultures. And they were attracted to the painting. And he's like, oh, so they, they use sight. But they weren't attracted to this, like, really old, practically decayed corpse, which at that point is not even food for vultures anymore because mm. they, they still got to eat when it's fresh. Yeah. And he's like, well, so that must mean they can't smell. Oh, <laughs> and, my. Because if they could smell, they'd love this corpse. <laughs> and... Um, I think I'm remembering this right. I could be remembering it wrong, but the the base is still there in that the the experiment inaccurately determined that birds could not smell because vultures didn't want to eat what he thought they should want to eat.
1: Yeah. Obviously, we know that one species is a great representation for everything of that
0: family. Right. And, well, the other thing is modern experiments, vultures can smell very well. I mean, they have to. That's their whole thing is being scavengers. Mm-hmm. They they fly around in the sky super high. Obviously, to, um, a little bit of a different rabbit hole. They scientists think maybe that vultures do that to see if there are other vultures that are descending towards something when they get really high up there. Because it was thought that maybe they were up there looking for food, but until they're lower, that's when they start looking for food. When they're really high, they're actually looking for other birds. So they're kind of
1: look, s- circling around up there, hoping that someone else has spotted something so that they can also go in on that. Maybe. <laughs> that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. <clears throat> Vultures are just we- real neat in general because mm-hmm. they're so specialized to what they do, which is eating dead and decaying meat, Yeah, which is... Very much a problem for many things because if something's dead, something killed it. Mm-hmm. And often, obviously, if like if it was a hyena pack or whatever predator that ate most of the meat and then left and then the bird comes down and eats the rest, that makes sense. But a lot of times in nature, it's from disease that an animal passes away mm-hmm. and the bird has to, the vulture has to go down and get that. But they're still generally good at eating even most diseased things because they have such an acidic stomach. Mm -hmm. Because I think, is it like pH two or three? I know it's something ridiculously
0: low. I know you definitely don't want vultures to throw up on you. But that is one of their defense mechanisms.
1: (laughs) So they just have such acidic stomach acid that even the diseases that could have killed this creature have died because their stomach is just that hostile towards them.
0: Yeah, their digestive tract is pretty strong. Yeah. And they they also largely have evolved to not have any feathers on their heads. That's why vultures are bald so that they don't have to worry about infections hanging around on those feathers. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So huh. they have they can clean their their bald heads and make sure that they don't get any infections that way as they're, you know, digging into a rotting corpse. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just uh, I just started volunteering for the Raptor Conservation Alliance here. I haven't actually gotten to go out on any raptor rescues, but what part of our training is they told us about? Uh, if you ever get vomited on by a vulture, it's gonna smell the worst you've ever smelled. Because mm. um, we have we have a couple species of vultures here in Nebraska. We have turkey vultures and. Turkey Vulture is the one everyone knows. That's the one. You're That's the one that I know, see. and I'm not <clears> even from here. Can't remember the other one off the top of my head, but either way, you don't want to get thrown up on by him. Yeah, I think I said that right. That sounds right. Yeah, birds with special special abilities are just super cool. And almost all birds have some kind of special ability <laughs> when you get down to it. <laughs> Level up. Um, I'm trying to think of even a maybe a smaller bird. We've been talking a lot about raptors and cranes. We have been, yeah. Um, Corvids. That's I love corvids. Oh, I mean, you gotta
1: you gotta love corvids. (laughs) Yeah. Family of crows, ravens,
0: blue jays. Blue blue jays are in the corvid. Yep. Um, But yeah, the corvid family is obviously known for their intelligence. You think about crows, ravens. Crows can remember a face of somebody who's wrong to them and hold a grudge for several years. Nice. Um, and there's New Caledonian crows in, I think obviously I'm gonna guess New Caledon, but I don't know where that is. (laughs) I don't know for sure where that is either. But they are able to solve pretty complex puzzles and are known to they're actually kind of a pest species around there because of how smart they are. They're able to take advantage of people's food, break into their stores. Really? Uh, and all that. And by their stores, I mean their food stores, not the actual breaking into a <laughs> building. Just a, a a gang of crows. just
1: Get the crowbar, Jack.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Though that does bring up the puzzles that they solved involved using pretty basic mechanisms, levers and and other things that allowed them to essentially get to food. I can't remember if it was the New Caledonian crows or another species but they were actually able to use the principle of water displacement. Really? Yeah. So they would put, scientists would put a a snack at the bottom of a beaker. That floats. That has water in it that floats and crows would dump pebbles into the water until it got high enough for them to pull it out. Oh my goodness that's cool. Yeah yeah they're just wicked smart
1: mm-hmm. and i know you can also if a person ends up feeding them specifically you can th- people have definitely trained crows mm-hmm. to uh like if you feed them they'll sometimes return with like gifts they make art yeah and by art they mean like putting a pop tab on a pine tree mhm but still and then i think there was a like legal case where not legal case, but someone panicking because a crow came to them with
0: $20. (laughs) And so there's like, am I responsible if my crow steals money and brings it to me? Um, There is, there is one thing that went around the internet. I'm not sure of the validity of it, where somebody actually taught a crow to look for loose money, loose change, loose cash rolling around and bring it back to them. And they would give them a snack or whatever. That's Um, Awesome. Uh, honestly, pretty feasible. I don't know for sure if that was a true story because internet, but... Yeah. I'd love for my pet crow to bring me passive
1: income. And then talking about bird intelligence, we also then have to talk about parrots. Especially African gray parrots. Oh, yeah. They get a lot of the fame. I mean, everywhere <clears throat> cockatiels, like, there's a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think as smart as African gray parrots are, I feel like the like a macaw gets
0: more, like, is more recognizable. They're obviously more colorful and charismatic than the African gray parrot, which is just gray. Mm-hmm. But the, the the gray parrots, I I did read about one that it had a vocabulary of, ooh, how many words was it? I can't remember the specific number of words, but it had a pretty extensive vocabulary of words that they confirmed that it knew how to use. Hmm in in English talking to its trainers um and not only that it could do math a little bit
1: <laughs> I it's not about birds but I have to bring this up because another like companion species for humans is horses mm-hmm. and horses are very good at like facial recognition and can actually stand trial like not stand trial but stand as a witness to a trial really yeah and there was this one horse that scientists thought could do math. So they'd ask it a math question, and then it would stomp out the correct answer. Mm-hmm. And it was like this this huge, like, crazy, impressive thing because, oh, my God, this horse can do math. And they eventually put it in a trial where they did the instructions over, like, an intercom. Mm-hmm. And the horse couldn't do it. So what they actually determined was the horse wasn't doing math, but it was so good at, like, perceiving the scientist's anticipation, like, oh, this is the correct number, and then stopping at that point to get the math question
0: correct. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about animals is – I don't know if it's a favorite thing, but – it is definitely up there as how underestimated their intelligence is. People think animals are just stupid, but they're they're definitely doing a lot of thinking that we don't account for because we have a hard time thinking how an animal might think. Yeah. Of going all the way back to bird smelling. Bird smelling. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Um, on the ocean especially, there's albatross um, gulls. Seabirds are... They got a lot of credit for knowing how to smell things mm-hmm. um, because there was an experiment done where, in the Arctic especially, there are these. Sometimes there are uh, big colonies of microorganisms mm-hmm. that, when they die, they release a ton of nutrients. Yeah. And then a community flourishes there of fish, all of that. Yeah. And when those microorganisms die and they release a very specific chemical and birds know that smell. So when they smell that, they know that there's going to be a lot of food there and they can smell that from above water flying around. Yeah. And it's just really cool to think that there's several species of birds that have learned this smell. So they just kind of fly
1: until they hit this pocket where they're just like, okay, I smell this. I can now
0: kind of choose to glide in this general area because I'll know they'll be fishier. Mm-hmm. And the other cool thing is birds actually will fly cross current, wind current, until they pick up a scent. And at which point they pick up the scent, they'll zigzag so that they can follow the scent accurately down the wind current. So they're they're doing a lot of intense thinking to find food, basically, mm-hmm. that if you're not paying attention you just would never know that birds are doing that. Yeah, and speaking of albatrosses and wise, the, the oldest albatross known to us, her name is Wisdom. Hmm. Oh, that's clever. She has nested on, I think, the Midway Atoll for 80 years. <laughs> 80 years? Something like that. That's an old bird. Yeah, and she still has chicks, I think, every other year. Wow. Um, And there are scientists on that island that keep track of her. Uh, And her mates, too. They actually know that she's been through a couple mates and that her most recent mate, because albatrosses are, they mate for life. But she's outlived a couple of them now. (laughs) Good for her. So her most recent mate has not shown up at the island for a couple years, if I remember correctly. So they're a little worried. (laughs) So he might be dead. Yeah. Might have kicked the bucket.
1: Speaking of bird tracking, Mm -hmm. um, I love the... I don't know if it was corvids or just like a a, a common thing for some bird species is, uh, conservationists would try and tack them and track them, so they give mm-hmm. them little essentially like ankle bracelets, right, to right. track them around, and th- that became a problem for conservation because those birds that got tagged ended up getting more mates because birds like shiny things, mm-hmm. so there was a show off this. this colorful ankle bracelet and then get more mates
0: because of it. Mm -hmm. There have been a lot of studies showing whether or not those different methods of marking them have any effect on their survival or their, their fitness. Yeah. And it is definitely funny to think about because there are some birds where maybe having that on their leg is unattractive and doesn't work out for them. Yeah. But it's, it is fun to think about birds especially. That Now we're talking about bird courtship rituals.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, that's one
0: of the most recognizable things about them. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go back to the Sandhill Cranes. They have such a cool ritual that they do where they they bow down to each other and it's some birds it's just the male that does the dancing and he's trying to impress the female you think of like if you've ever watched planet earth the birds of paradise mm-hmm. those really colorful ones that do a really cool dance yeah and they like fully fan out their wings and it kind of looks like a face and they're just kind of vibrating up and down <laughs> right but sandhill cranes it's a it is a duet between the male and the female and they they're both bowing down to each other and fluffing up their wings it it kind of looks like a big heart shape when they do that too. Oh, it's that's, pretty cool. That's cute. I kinda um, wanna see this now. Yeah. And a lot of times they, they will hop up and down. Sandhill cranes do a lot of hopping up and down anyway, but during their courtship especially. Hmm. Um which brings me to the other two bird species that I saw on this this bird trip that I just went on. Oh yeah. The prairie chickens, greater prairie chickens, greater and, prairie chickens and sharp tailed grouse. Sharp-tailed grouse and prairie chickens do this thing called a lek, L-E-K, lek. L-E-K. And that's where they have essentially an agreed-upon spot for all of the birds in that area. They just meet up there in the mornings during the spring, and the males go all out fighting and dancing all together, and then the females are just kind of watching. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, and they watch, and the goal of this lek, which you could kind of think of as a dance battle in a way, <laughs> where there's actual dancing and actual fighting, <laughs> um, is to end up in the middle, like King of the Hill. If you if you are in the middle of the lek, you have won. Wow. And they, you know, studies have, have been done that show that that male gets about 80% of the breeding for that season.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: Um, but they do it every morning, so it it's kind of a continuous process. Yeah. Um, and they're really fun to watch too because they do something called booming. So they have these big, bright orange throat sacs that they inflate. When they inflate, it makes this really fun noise. Um, and obviously, the because it's birds, the brighter your bigger and brighter your throat sac, and the louder your noise, the the better you are. Um, oh, yeah. It's it's a really cool thing to see. Um, and they also have bright orange eyebrows that also inflate when they're booming. <laughs> Inflatable eyebrows. Yeah. That's a new one. Um, and it's it's really cool to see, and that's just prairie chickens. Yeah. Uh, kind of to describe their dance, they, they put their wings, they tuck their wings down and, and kind of flatten themselves out and stick their tail up in the air, and then they just stomp really fast and turn in circles and then run around really fast, and then they'll stop and fight another male somewhere. It's really fun to see. I also, talking
1: about booming, made me think of uh, loons, the common Mm. loon. And I remember a, it was like an ACT question from back in high school that was basically talking all about the loon call and how like different pitches generally mean different things, but Mm. they're super territorial for some, like surprisingly. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's I
0: also just you love a loon call. It it's, sounds great. Yeah. Especially if you're in if you're camping in northern United States where the loons are during their breeding season, you wake up to a loon call on the lake. Mm-hmm.